1944 season, we are back to a full quota of 12 teams. No more compromise fixture. Oh, normality. Richmond come out hot and are the team to beat early, but the race for the top four is one of the closest ever. Ooh. Fred Fanning starts to kick some goals for Melbourne. Over at Essendon, things look to be coming unstuck and Carlton and Footscray play the ultimate final round showdown with everything on the line. All that and more coming up after our song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazmaz To hear what they all have to say and welcome to our 1944 season episode. Hey everyone, I'm Tim. We've got the Kazman. Hi everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, we've got Moz. Hi everybody. Charlie's not here because he made an appointment and he's an idiot. <laughs> he's always an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, 1944. Can you believe it? We're almost at the end of the war. Things are going hummingly. Well, not, well, not, not, not war-wise, that, but not they're humming hummingly along. But in terms of, in terms of uh, us moving along, we're like... We're already halfway through the 40s. The yeah. 50s are on the horizon. Yeah, mm. been smashing them out. Yeah. We're seeing vision. We've got stats. Yeah. It, it's getting, it's getting That's great. That's a really good point, guys. We're, the more, mm. the, the, the further along we get, the clo- the more vision and yeah. audio there is, which is fantastic. And people are still alive. Have been to the grand finals. That it's been very, very fun yeah. researching this. <laughs> um, so I just like to shout out to Geelong, uh, not Geelong, Germany. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, ah. Some Brits in the UK, we've had a bit of downloading there, and some the state of Connecticut in America as well have been listening to us, which has been fantastic. Give us some history! Um, now, Charlie, as I said, is not here, but he is going to insert his news of the year. Over the top, or well, underneath that will be one of the hit songs, uh, which is As Time Goes By, by written by Rudy Valley and his Connecticut Yankees. Mm. Um, it was written 13 years earlier, but was popularised by the film Casablanca. Oh, of course. So... Charlie, tell us all about history from 1944. So, guys, quite a lot happened in 1944. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, First, on the 20th of January, the Royal Air Force dropped 2,300 tonnes of bombs on Berlin. Unbelievable. On the 2nd of March, the 16th Academy Awards ceremony was held, which was the first Oscar ceremony to be held at a public venue, which was Grauman's Chinese Theatre in Hollywood. Uh, The winner of the Best Picture was Casablanca. On the 10th of March, uh, the prohibition on married women working as teachers was lifted in Britain. And on the 15th of April, uh, Fred Patterson was elected to the Queensland Parliament, representing the seat of Bowen, and was then and still remains the only member of the Communist Party of Australia to ever be elected into an Australian Parliament. On the 25th of April, the United Negro College Fund was incorporated in the the US. And on the 5th of May, uh, Mohandas Gandhi was released from jail in India on health grounds. On the 5th of June, the German Navy's Enigma messages were decoded almost in real time. 
And on the 6th of June, on D-Day, 155,000 Allied troops shipped from England landed on the beaches of Normandy in northern France, beginning Operation Overlord and the invasion of Normandy. The Allied soldiers quickly broke through the Atlantic Wall and pushed inland in the largest amphibious military operation in history, which helped to liberate France from Germany and also weakened the Nazi hold on Europe. On the 6th of July, at Camp Hood in Texas, uh, the future baseball star and first lieutenant Jackie Robinson was arrested and later court-martialed for refusing to move to the back of a segregated US Army bus, uh, but he was eventually acquitted of that. On the 20th of July, Adolf Hitler survived the, the 20th of July plot to assassinate him, led, him, led by Klaus von Stauffenberg. Uh, he and his fellow conspirators and uh, what was part of Operation Valkyrie are executed the following day. On the 21st of October, the heavy cruiser HMAS Australia, which was operating in the Philippines, was hit by a kamikaze aircraft, which killed 20 and wounded, wounded 54 in what is believed to be the first attack of its kind. Uh, at the beginning of November, Sirius won the Melbourne Club, Cup, uh, just after that, on November the 7th, the US presidential election was held and FDR Franklin D. Roosevelt won re-election over the Republican challenger Thomas E. Dewey and he became the only US president ever elected to a fourth term. On the 25th of November, Reg Saunders became the first Aboriginal commissioned officer in the Australian Army. On the 20th of December, General Dwight D. Eisenhower was promoted to the rank of five-star general. On the 14th of December, December, the Liberal Party of Australia was formed, which replaced the United Australia Party. Uh, and on the 22nd of December, in more World War II news, Brigadier General Anthony C. McAuliffe, who is the commander of the US forces defending Bastogne, refuses to accept the demands for surrender by sending a one-word reply to the German command, which was nuts, which I liked. Um, also, at some point during the year, the 1944 Summer Olympics were suspended. They were set, scheduled to be held in London, um, and also the February Winter Olympics, which were scheduled to be held in Cortina d'Ampezzo in Italy, uh, both suspended due to the war. Uh, for births, we've got a few here, a few, you know, keep on getting more and more. 9th of January, we've got Jimmy Page, Page the Led Zeppelin guitarist. On the 12th of January, jo Joe Frazier, the boxer. On the 18th of January, Paul Keating, the 24th Prime Minister. On the 9th of February, we had Alice Walker, who is an African-American novelist, writer, poet and activist. She wrote the, the book, the, the novel The Colour Purple and uh, won a Pulitzer Prize as well. Also on the 9th of February, Darren Hinch, the Australian media personality. The next day, February 10th, Peter Allen, uh, the actor, singer, composer, um, and Academy Award winner from Australia. On the 14th of Feb, Carl Bernstein, the American investigative journalist of Woodward and Bernstein and um, Watergate fame. 1st of March, we had Roger Daltrey from The Who. On the 18th of March, Dick Smith, the Australian entrepreneur. 
On the 26th of March, Diana Ross, the sing- actress and singer. On the 14th of May, George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars, of course. And on the 19th of May, Peter Mayhew, the English and American actor who's most famous for playing Chewbacca in Star Wars. On the 23rd of May, we had John the Newcomb, the Australian tennis player. On the 4th of July, Ray Ma, uh, the actor who plays Alf in uh, Home and Away. Uh, on the 21st of August, we've got Peter Weir, the Australian film director, uh, famous for directing uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock. On September the 12th, Barry White, the singer. On the 25th of September, Michael Douglas, the American actor and producer. On November 17th, Danny DeVito. On the 20th of December, Ray Martin, the Australian journalist and television presenter. And on the 27th of December, Bob Brown, the activist and politician uh, and leader of the Greens Party in Australia. So there you go. There is 1944. Fantastic. All right. So some league news, guys. Because it's football season and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. Um, 1943, it was initially planned for the new season um, to have the same season as 1943 where the bottom club would drop out after round 11 like St Kilda yeah, did. Yeah, Saints. Um, and in this case, the second last club would be dropped out as well. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm. Um, but the system was dropped midway through the year with Melbourne in danger of finishing in the second last spot. Um, I don't know if it was the Melbourne delegates who really pushed for it not to happen. <laughs> but um, Goodness, no. Yeah, I think that was a good move to n- not drop two teams. It doesn't seem fair or right that you'd punish two teams for playing poorly. Yeah, it'd be pretty livid if you were one of those, what, a supporter for one of those teams. Mm. Uh, although it would make games pretty interesting and make you, like you'd be fighting tooth and nail to stay alive. Oh, yeah, just like in the 43. Who St Kilda played? South. South. Yeah. Mm. Um, payments to players were kept at 30 pence per game. I, I guess that is 30 <laughs> slash. Is that pence? Is that pound? I couldn't tell you. Uh, with an additional two pound to be paid into their provident funds. Um, the VFA and VFL also discussed the prospect of merging the two competitions this season mm. uh, oh, with yeah. a um, promotion relegation system because the VFA were in recess at, the, at this stage. They weren't playing because of the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, you know, there's always been talks of them merging in some form, mm. but these fell down. One of the big things was the whole throwing the ball system that the VFA had at this stage. Mm. That was called the throw pass. They were still doing that. Yeah, in the, in the, at this time they were, that's absolutely. Right. And you can't have players who are used to playing like that, mixing with the... That's going to cause a problem. But no, I wonder if it was, wasn't for that, would they have combined? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, in theory, it sounds good, but it probably, it's not. I don't think it would have worked. No. Um, and finally, there were talks in May of the players forming a union. Oh. Hmm. I don't know if they did or not, but there were talks of it. <laughs> <laughs> we know we now have a player union, so... Maybe it did happen. Yeah. All right, let's get into the teams. Let's go from bottom to top. Yep, coming in last, poor old cats. They finished, (laughs) this is rough, one win and 17 losses, a percentage of 58.6. I don't know if I've read one that horrific before. Have I read an 18 no, loss? I, I don't know. I think yeah. you missed a few of the seasons where no the team lost every game. Yeah, I think I wasn't here for that. <laughs> but to be fair, Geelong have just come off two years where they weren't playing. That's true. Uh, they mm. lost a lot of players. A lot of new players came in. 
Mm. It's good. That, it's good. They're back. Um, they probably Glad. had that win at Carrillo Oval. Yeah. Let's be honest. Um, so Geelong rejoined, and Carrillo Oval was interestingly now free as well. We know Geelong had played almost ninety nine percent of their game, their home games at Carrillo Oval. They'd only moved to Cardinia Park in forty one. Mm. Um, and there was discussion about moving back to Cryo Oval, but they decided that Cardinia Park was a more central location and would be a better home ground. And that is where they still are. Hmm. And also a player debuted named Alex Matheson, who I got to go and interview two years ago. He's the oldest living Geelong player. Oh, and so we've got some audio that we'll put in of my chat with him. Oh, about he, awesome. This is the only season he played. Uh, and he's still kicking. He's still alive and kicking. I think he's 99 this mm. year. They were lucky to get back in. The league didn't want him back in again. And they had a hell of a job getting back in. Yeah. And old Maury Jacobs, he had the floating store in Geelong with Jew. He was president of Geelong Football Club. He fought like hell to get him back in. Yeah. Which they did do, you know. 41. Park was, when, when I was growing up, they used to have a speedway there. Motorbikes. Okay. And then uh, they got rid of that. Then they had a, an asphalt track there where the country fire brigades used to have their demonstration. It was a, an asphalt track. Uh, and they had these uh, hose reels. They used to have the, and run with that reel and hose. And they had the, the uh, where they used to up the ladders. Whatever, yeah. He was that for years before Geelong went, went from Skyroval, yeah. And then, so they moved in 41 yeah. to Cardinia, so 44 was only their second season, yeah. which was your first season. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, Cardinia is an Aboriginal word meaning sunrise. Oh, I didn't know no, that. Neither. Uh, so Tom Arclay was appointed coach and Jack Butcher was captain. Mm-hmm. Arclay said at the time, I intend to insist that players train hard and thoroughly, for I am of the opinion that a man plays as he trains. The public do not mind so much if the team is beaten as long as everyone plays it out to the final bell. Local lads will certainly get every opportunity to make good. Here, here, Have a crack. <laughs> um, so if you remember when the team went into recess, there was 13 players went to other teams. Seven of those players came back to Geelong. I'm, I'm thinking the final six, some of them passed away, unfortunately, in the war, and some of them retired. So George Neal and Neil Tucker returned from Carlton. Vic Nankervis came back from St Kilda. Uh, they captain Jack Butcher, George Doherty, Lindsay White and Pat Leahy were all at South. They all came back. And remember, Lindsay White won the goal-kicking yeah. playing for South. Yeah, good place. Um, some debutants as well for you, Kazman. Yes. Vin Lingerwood. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Jim Monday, Jack Singh. Um, and they actually had more debuts, recruits in this team than they'd had for any other time apart from the very first season of VFL in 1897. Well, we never won a game. No. But uh, we could understand that two years out of the competition yeah. and all the other teams had been playing, you know, so... But you kicked a goal in your first game? <laughs> yes. Yeah, against, Five uh, minutes against in Essendon? The... Five minutes in. Five minutes in, uh, and they, I started on the half-forward flank. I never played forward at all in all the time I'd been playing. Yeah. Five minutes in, Plummer, he was in the back pocket. He got the ball, he raced out, and I grabbed him about, oh, around about 50 yards out from goal. Yeah. Holding the ball. Well, kick, 
Straight through the goal. So your first kick in league yeah. football is a goal. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. What a way to start. So quarter time, I was moved to centre-half back and I played the three games at centre-half back and the rest of the games I played full-back. Yeah, look, so round one, and, and you've prefaced this already, Moz, it's not a pretty season. <laughs> <laughs> round one, the Dogs beat them pretty well. Round two was their first home game back at Cardinia Park. They had a big gala. The teams formed the V as the Geelong Highland Band ushered them onto the ground. Uh, Peter Burns, star of the VFA, who played for both teams, resumed in his job as timekeeper. I think he's about 80 at this stage. Um, but, yeah, they got smashed. Uh, he played, he's a great player, wasn't he? They lost their... Yeah, Pete Burns, absolute <laughs> champion. Um, so they lost their first 13 games. Uh, in one of these games, round nine, Tom Arclay, was, who was the coach, was inserted into the team because uh, the committee wanted him to lead from the front. It was a last-minute decision against Collingwood, and he actually asked the radio broadcast not to mention that he was playing. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Maybe you... he didn't want the extra pressure. Possibly not. Maybe he wanted it on the down low... He ended up playing seven games and obviously people realised he'd been playing but he didn't want to publicise the fact that he was back Mm. or maybe the fact that that his team needed him to be back, that they were that bad. Yeah. Mm. Bit of pride. Yeah, so round 14, in front of the biggest crowd of the season, 8,500 people were at Cardinia Park and they saw Lindsay White kick six goals and Barclay three as the Cats won their one and only game of the season against Hawthorne. Yay. Celebrations were in order. Mm. Following the game, the Geelong advertiser said each of the 19 players who took part in the game received an extra reward, reward for their service. Mm. At halftime, the vice president informed them that, that if they win, the supporters had all pulled together 19 pounds for them to share. Mm. So each player received the pound, oh. <laughs> an extra pound for the win. Mm. Yes. Um, yes. It was their only win for the year. A very sad one, but it's good to have them back. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then, legs 11. <laughs> Hawthorne. So Geelong's only win was against Hawthorne and Hawthorne were second last on the ladder. They had two wins, one draw, 15 losses and a percentage of 66.2. So not that much better. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, if you remember last year, um, they were over the last two seasons, they've been coached by Roy Kazaley, the great man mm. who had named the Hawks as well. Yes. He was the one right. who was in charge when they came up with the name Hawks. Um, mm-hmm. he had now, he'd left to open a massage and physio business in Tasmania. He was replaced by Tommy the Turk, Lahif, mm. a tough-as-nails rover who had crossed from Port Melbourne in 42. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a good debutante for them as well was Tom Spear. Ah. Mm. Um, Lahif had convinced a number of his borough teammates from, from Port Melbourne to join him at Glen Ferry and was convinced that some extra port toughness combined with the skill from the Kazali era would lead to success. However, this would not really prove the case. <laughs> um, after losses to Essendon and Carlton, the Hawks got their first win in round three, which was a 53-point thumping of Geelong at Glen Ferry, um, which was then followed by a gutsy seven-point win over the Saints. And this kind of indicated things were on track. They were two and two after four rounds. However, things went horribly wrong and they wouldn't win another game for the season. They lost its next 10 matches by an average of 45 points. The low points were in round 11 and 12 when the team suffered successive 100-point defeats to Melbourne and Essendon. Hey, that's good for us. Hey. Um, and, I mean, to add insult to injury, they lost. They were the only team to lose to Geelong as well. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, they did manage to restore a tiny smidgen of pride by uh, having a draw with St Kilda. 
Hmm. Which, I mean, they were last year's wooden spooners, so I don't really know if that says much. <laughs> By season's end, an amazing 15 players had made their debut. Still a record, which uh, still a Hawthorne record for players. In all, 43 players were used, and just two of them, Jack Blackman and Jack King, uh, played in every match. So bad was the crisis that uh, non-playing coach Lahiff even had to come back for a match. And that's uh, yeah, the sad story of Hawthorne's year. <laughs> uh, a few more years of sad stories to go to for them. Mm. Yes. Let's enjoy them. Yes, we will. <laughs> um, coming in third from the bottom or tenth from the top, Collingwood. <laughs> Seven wins, 11 losses, and a percentage of 89.1. All right, so can we guess who is coaching Collingwood still? Bill Proudfoot. <laughs> <laughs> Upstanding Bill figure. Bill Proudfoot. Um, I wish in, I had a better memory. Uh, in uh, season 150, what, how many seasons? Is it? Oh, I don't know what he's up to now. Jock McHale, of course. Jock McHale. So Jack Regan was had been coached the previous season but he had to serve overseas again so he headed off and therefore Pat Fricker took over as captain it was the first non-premiership winning captain they'd had since Charlie Tyson in the early 20s mm-hmm. um, again Ron Todd tried to come back and play mm-hmm. and again he was rejected mm. um, and they had a debutante named Jim Tibbles which kind of if you if you just include his surname. He sounds like a cat, Mr. Tibbles. Oh, <laughs> sounds like, like my dog, Mr. Tettles. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it reminded me of. Um, around one, the season got off on a right on the right note. The team kicked six goals in a twenty-minute burst to start the game and won by the same margin. Um, who they played, I am not one hundred percent sure. <laughs> uh, they beat. Still got a bit of firepower in there. Mm. North Melbourne. Then they had they suffered a home loss to Fitzroy and then lost two more games by single figures to both Footscray and South. And suddenly the team was in a form slump. Mm-hmm. A comment was made that unlike the Collingwood of old, this team were losing close games. Round seven, though, was a step in the right direction. They smashed Essendon at Victoria Park, holding them scoreless in the first quarter with having while having 14 shots themselves. Uh, and, and Essendon having come off the back of three straight grand finals. Mm. Uh, round nine, Bob Galboli kicked eight goals as the Pies smashed Geelong. Geelong are just everyone's whipping boy this season. <laughs> Unfortunately, round Aww. 12, following the win over North Melbourne at Victoria Park, Pat Fricker was posted elsewhere for national service. So in his place, Alan Williams took over as captain for the rest of the season, although he wasn't available till round 14. So, I mean, it's no surprise that Collingwood are down the bottom with like leadership's just all over the place at the yeah, moment. Their mm-hmm. best players have been shuffled around there. In round 13, Fitzroy all but ended Collingwood's chance of finals. Um, but then for the first time in the season, they won two games in a row, uh, including a 72-point demolition job on Hawthorne with uh, Galboli kicking six in that game. Um, round 14, the Prime Minister, John Curtin, came into the rooms at halftime while the Piles trailed the Dogs. Jock introduced all the players and and he tried to help Jock inspire them to a win, but the Dogs ended up winning mm. by 39 points. It's never a good thing when the Prime Minister comes. He always... Mm. The team he wants to see win never happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Lou Richards and uh, Bob Garbali would lead the goal-kicking this season with thirty oh, with 26 each. Um, Garbali kicked those goals in the only eight games he ever played for the team. Mm. Um, but this was a breakout year for Lou Richards. So we all know Lou Richards. Mm, he hasn't been playing that long. No, I think this is his third season. He played all 18 games. He kicked 26 goals. Uh, he was elevated to vice-captain, I think, 
He was awarded best on ground in several games, and I think Sporting Globe nominated him as the best smallman in the competition and the third best player of the of the season. Wow! Mm. It, so. didn't, it didn't say this in the Sporting Globe, but he got the best sledger as well. The sledger. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, another disappointing season for Collingwood. They've been down the bottom now for uh, uh, for them much longer than they're, they're used to. Um, they're, they've been out of finals since '39, which is most unlike Collingwood. Mm. Mm. We'll but, see if they can go back up the ladder once the war is enjoyable ended. for the rest of us. Yes, <laughs> thoroughly. Uh, so let's move on. Okay, so ninth on the ladder were the Saints, last year's Wooden Spooners. Yes. Um, they finished this year with six wins, two draws, and ten losses, a percentage of 90.4. Which is much a much better season for them. Hmm. Um, now, Huey Thomas took over as coach. Do you recognise that name, Kaz? I do not. I know the Thomas uh, name is associated well, with... Well, Huey that, Thomas yeah. was the second coach mm-hmm. at, Rich- at Collingwood all throughout that successful period where they won the four in a row. He mm. was uh, and he got pushed out by Jock McHale mm. because he didn't like what was how he was controlling the seconds. Mm. Um, he wanted to be in control of the club. So Huey Thomas went to St Kilda, had been coaching their seconds and is now in charge of their firsts. Mm. Huh. Um, and one one thing the St Kilda board this year did was they announced a three year plan. Oh <laughs> the invention of the three year, five year plan. Yeah, this is the first <laughs> time I've, the first time I've heard of one of the plans ah. that we're we're so familiar with these days. And for it to come from St Kilda just mm. really Um their focus was gonna be on local talent as well. Ah. Um, some debutantes for St Kilda were Wally Armour, Brendan Birmingham, Jack Indian, and Bob Bibby. Bob Bibby. Bob, 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 Bob Bibby. Say that ten Bob times Bibby. fast. Um, and they were able to move back to Junction Oval because the occupation was over hmm. of that ground. So they moved back to their home ground, which was great for them. Um, round two was their first win, which was over Footscray. It was their first game back at Junction Oval and saw them have a 15-point win. Their captain at this stage was Frank Kelly. But like the same, like what was happening around the league, he got transferred into state or into another overseas. And so the round three loss to South Melbourne was his last for the season and Clary Vontom took over captaining duties. Mm-hmm. So honour boards are going to be a bit of a mess for this <laughs> war season. Okay. Round five, they beat Melbourne at Punt Road Oval by 13 points despite only kicking one goal in the last quarter. And then round six, they drew with the mighty Essendon, which is... Uh, I don't know how that happened. Um, <laughs> although from their nine shots on goal in the last quarter, not one of them was a goal. Oh. So that tells me St Kilda actually should have won this game. Um, also during this game at Junction Oval it started to rain mm-hmm. and so all the spectators swarmed into the members reserve mm-hmm. and the, the officials didn't do anything to stop them because the members reserve is undercover of course mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the lightly patronised Melbourne's reserve a uh, members reserve I should say as well mm. um, now round 10 was the match that Huey Thomas had been looking forward to St Kilda versus Collingwood ah. uh, at the Junction Oval Huey Thomas versus his old nemesis Jock McHale and boy did he get his players worked up for this match um, he told his men don't forget that this is the team that gave me the ass. <laughs> Um and it worked the Saints romped to a 68 point win their biggest of the season over Collingwood Whoa. kicked 9 goals 4 in the last quarter stomping all over them so um, no matter what happens from here I think Huey Thomas has, has, has done it he's got his own back on Jock yeah should never have got rid of him. That's right. All the players are playing for him yeah. and they've 
followed through with the execution of the plan. Indeed. <laughs> um, in this game, Alan Killigrew was reported and suspended for four matches for striking John Murphy in the face. <laughs> so he really revved the players up. Mm. But Killigrew... Oh, they were feisty. Yeah. Um, then... Saints would knock off the highly fancied Fitzroy in round 12 by 26 points before another draw, uh, which was with Hawthorne. They had a win over Melbourne and a big loss to Essendon to round the season out. But better than a wooden spoon. All right. Eighth on the ladder were the Mighty Ds, and they had the same amounts of wins and losses as Collingwood, who finished 10th. Seven wins, 11 losses, a percentage of 102.7. Mm. Yeah. Maybe Fred Fanning kicking a few goals for us to get us over above Collingwood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Um, we'll see, Tim. Right. So there's some interesting debutants this year as well. Um, one of them, to- Tony Bazaka. <laughs> uh, Harry New. Um, and the other one is a person by the name of Colin Galbraith. Mm. Now... We, we work with the Galbraith, so we actually know this family. Oh, no wonder yeah. Sarah's such a huge D supporter. Yeah, so um, her, I guess he'd be grandfather-in-law, um, was Colin Galbraith, who played for Melbourne. So he originally played with the University Blacks as a winger, but was tied to Richmond's recruiting zone. And Richmond wanted a player that Melbourne had, um, who is a winner of the McCracken Name Award, Kazman, mm-hmm. Bill Paleface Morris. <laughs> so they did a deal. Um, Melbourne got Galbraith and um, mm. Richmond got Paleface Morris, who went on to win a Brownlow, and you'll be talking about shortly. Mm. Um, and they swapped the two, so Galbraith made his, his debut this season. Makes me think that Galbraith's a pretty good player. Well, I mean, if, if that's who they're swapping him for, must be. Yeah, it would, um, would be fair. Yeah. Of the 36 players to represent Melbourne in their last premiership season, 24 of them were on service. Oh. With just four still playing. So after retirements and stuff. So mm. in the matter of, what's that, four years, they've just been gutted. Huge mm. Hanging in there. Mm. Um, but Fred Fanning was definitely the highlight early on. First three games, he kicked a total of 19 goals. Five against Richmond, seven against Essendon, six against Carlton, despite all those games being losses. Wow. Now, round four, the team travelled to Cardinia Park and had a big win. Fred Fanning, having a ripper, booted 11. Hmm. Um, And the Ds ran out 73-point winners, but the sour note was youngster Colin Galbraith suffering a broken kneecap, which ultimately ended his career. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Just getting into That was so cruel of you, Tim. I'm sorry. Um... And it was a shame as well because present at this match was his grandfather, Jim Galbraith, who, had, who was a life member and a brilliant player for Geelong in the VFA. Oh. Cool. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately he broke his leg, uh, mm. he broke his kneecap, and that was his career. Darn it. Yeah. Well, I'm currently knitting his, what would they be, great Great-granddaughter-in-law. Great-grandkids, demons, beanies. Oh, yeah. So yes. we'll commemorate those games. You're part of the family as well. Um, between round five and six, Melbourne played an exhibition match against Ballarat and scored a big win. Fred Fanning kicked 18. Oh, he's just, just yeah. carrying against, on his a, merry way. In an exhibition game, he kicked 18. <laughs> yep. That's one bruised foot. Then in round six, he booted nine at Victoria Park. Um, and so they beat Collingwood at, at Victoria Park. So that was a lazy 27 goals in the space of six days. Eight, sorry, eighteen. So he kicked eighteen against Ballarat in, in an one ex- game. In an exhibition game, yep. 
Oh my god! And then god. six days later, he kicked nine at Victoria Park. Is that a record? Eighteen. Well, that's not an official game, oh, unfortunately. Ah, darn it. Um, but funny you mentioned that because his record is eighteen in a, in a league game in later seasons. It does Legend. get there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which will never be broken. No that, one, yeah, that no is one will ever kick that. Extraordinary. Um, round nine, playing the Bulldogs, it was a case of another week and another failure by the, all the demons other than Fanning. Mm. So he was really the linchpin at the moment, just holding them together. Uh, despite their issues, Melbourne almost snatched victory, falling just two points short of their third win of the season. Fanning had six, but at the crucial time late in the last quarter, he missed a vital set shot. <laughs> but I would argue he's doing all he can to win games at the moment. Mm. I'm trying to find out whether he's a set shot player, if he's a running small forward. Oh, Charlie would know oh, if it was right here, in. if he hadn't made an appointment. Yeah, yeah. silly goose, Charlie. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to find vision of him as well. Oh, um, yeah, good one. That would be good. Uh, round 10, Dees broke through for a window over the Swannies, kicking... Th- uh, winning by three points the rest of the team actually supported Fanning by kicking some goals Fanning only kicked one but Beams Downey Porter all kicked two which is good round 11 they played the Hawks at Glen Ferry Demons were clearly the best side for the first bounce but were wasteful in the first quarter with 16 scoring shots only earning them six goals uh, Melbourne's defence held firm and the team added another nine goal seven in the final quarter in the third quarter uh, and then would run out big winners Fanning kicked 11 goals 11 22 shots on goal. However, this game would be his undoing because he was suspended for four matches for striking a Hawthorne player yeah. with a punch to the stomach. Um, but it would be Melbourne's highest ever score and biggest win at Glenferry Oval. Yeah. You're a defender, Moz. That wouldn't, that's not very nice. No, that's not the kindest. <laughs> that's not very... Melbourne. <laughs> Round 14 was a brave win over Carlton, their very first without fanning in the lineup. Uh, the Melbourne defence only limited Carlton to four goals for the day, so... Yeah, they've, you know, they've still got it when they need it sometimes. Mm-hmm. They finished with a win in their last game of the season, which was a 62-point win over Hawthorne. Now, Fanning kicked 87 goals in the season, mm-hmm. but he was suspended for those four weeks, which really... Co- he, he would easily have kicked 100. Mm-hmm. And Melbourne have never had a player kick over 100. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's he, he That one the punch first. really stuffed yeah. him. Um, and this was the most kicked by a demon. This so his eighty-seven was the most kicked by a demon in a home and away season. Although uh, Norm Smith had kicked more, including finals, mm-hmm. um, and would only be broken by Fred Fanning himself a few seasons later. It's funny. I just never think of Melbourne as a powerful forward sort of team. <laughs> and uh, but this era, even all the way back to nineteen hundred, it seems like we've we've had them. You've had a few. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you got Jakovic in the nineties. Yeah. Um, Russell Robertson the, in the noughties. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> was he a powerhouse forward? <laughs> Jesse know. Hogan for a year. <laughs> well, we, we could go about on about Big some nigger. of the modern ones. Mm. Yeah, some good ones. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on. All right. Coming in seventh was South Melbourne with nine wins, nine losses, and a percentage of 96.9. Yes, South Melbourne. Um Mm-hmm. They had some star recruits who were in Melbourne for army training, and Kaz is going to talk about them shortly. Mm-hmm. And they moved their home ground because the Lakeside Oval was still occupied by the armed forces. Um, but they, they and they had been playing at Princess Park, but Junction Oval was much closer. It was the other side of the lake, so mm-hmm. they played their home games at Junction Oval this season. Now, round one saw a dramatic twenty-seven point win, almost which almost had a near riot. Uh, during this match, they were playing Carlton. Carlton Ruckman Ron Savage crashed through South Melbourne's 1940 Brownlow medalist, Herbie Matthews, with a furious tackle that broke one of Matthews' legs and sidelined him for the rest of the season. Mm. Field umpire saw nothing. Um, 
Sections of the crowd, however, believed Ron had deliberately injured their star sentiment and they were baying for blood. Uh, so on the final bell, fans raced in, tried to tried to get at the players. Oh, my God. Um, oh a Carlton player God. even felled one of them, apparently. And I think they had to escort the Carlton team and the, the umpires off like after the game from their rooms. Oh, huge. Um, so because of Herbie Matthews' injury, Jack Graham would take over as captain for the remainder of the season. Uh, he is the grandfather of Ben Graham, who played for Geelong and was also an NFL punter. Oh. Ben Graham. Uh, round two was a dramatic win, the first time, uh, first game at Geelong since 1941. The South team didn't actually show up at the scheduled 2.30 uh, slot either because their train was delayed. <laughs> South would go on to win by 19 points. Oh, they planned it. Mm. <laughs> um, it's interesting, though. I think the VFL... With Geelong back in the league, said you've got to organise your own transport down to Geelong this season. I think the VF, I think the league had been organising it up till this point. Mm. Now, following their round three win over St Kilda, um, they now led the Lakeside Pennant six to five Ooh. after trailing so South Melbourne are back. Most, most coveted um, trophy. However, in this win, some questioned the choice of Jack Graham as captain, um, where although his side had won the two games that he was in charge of, his form was poor. He didn't get a kick till halfway through the third quarter in this game. Oh, so, dear. Yeah, as a captain, that's not on. Round four, they had a one-goal win over Collingwood, and Jack Sheedy would play the first of his six games with the club. You tell us a little bit about Jack Sheedy, Kaz. Well, Jack Sheedy, if you look him up and it says six games, eight goals, don't be fooled. That's not many. That is Why not that many. Why are we talking about many. him? We're talking about one of the greatest Western Australian football players here, Tim. Um... Uh, so played a little bit of South Melbourne, but uh, went on to uh, be uh, to play for East Fremantle and um, featured as a captain coach. Um, uh, at just the age of twenty two, so um, plays in lots of grand finals. Um, a total of three hundred and thirty eight games altogether. Um, it doesn't really the, the facts I've got here, Tim. They do not do this player just as it sounds. Yeah. So. Um, so he I, plays I, for East Perth as well. Yep. Captain Coach. Um, and probably probably many other anecdotes. I've I've got here that he was he was Mr. Football in Western Australia. We we had Ted Whitten here in Victoria. Yeah. In WA he was Mr. Football. Ah fantastic. Um so Jack Sheedy, absolute legend as you said. Mm. Not the only legend who played for South either. So in round five they had a one point loss to North. Mm. But a player by the name of Jack Oti would play the first of his five games for South Melbourne. Well, I'll kick it off. You you finish this off for me. Um, Oti goes back to uh, plays a little bit and then goes back to South Australia. And yep. then what I was reading then just says, becomes a legend. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us why? He coached seven hundred and seventy seven games. <laughs> oh my. And was god. involved in eleven premierships. Oh my god. Nice innings. Yeah, there's got to be. I'm sure. Look, I'm sure there's much more about him. And mm. at some point, we probably need to do a mm. Sandfall special and a Waffle special and and look at those state leagues mm-hmm. in 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 a way. Mm. And I'm sure. I'm sure. Fantastic Murph will, idea. I'm sure Murph will tell us more about the uh, their feats in coming episodes as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for South to have these two players just for a little bit. I mean, doesn't you're right? Like the five games is a real mislead, isn't it? Misdirect. Yeah, that's right. I can't wait to to hear. Um, yeah, hear more. Mm. All right, so back to South Melbourne. Between round five and twelve, they won only one match, which was against Hawthorne. Although they won four of their next six, oh, sorry, four of their final six, but finals were all but out of the equation. Mm. In round thirteen, Melbourne defeated Geelong by twenty-two behinds, by twenty-two points. 
um, but it was actually 22 behinds, which is the largest winning margin between teams when kicked the same amount of goals. So let me just double check oh. what I'm actually saying here. So that was round South Melbourne. 13. So this, this, the South Melbourne versus Geelong. The final score in that game was South Melbourne 8 goals 30 <laughs> to Geelong 8 goals 8. Oh, dear. So what it's saying is it's the largest winning margin between teams having kicked the same amount of goals. Yep. <laughs> a record that stands to Yay. this day, it seems. What an unwanted record. <laughs> uh, round 14 would be another win for South Melbourne against St Kilda. That's 7-5 now in the Lakeside Premiership. And oh. that, would, uh, that would round out South Melbourne's season. All right, now time for North Melbourne. They had 10 wins, 8 losses, and finished on a percentage of 100.3. 100.3. Now, Kaz, I'm excited. I've got here in my debutantes, and you might be able to tell me more about this, yeah. Don Condon. Don Condon, Don you say? Don Condon. Is he a relation? Is he a relation of the famous and infamous Dick Condon? One of our favourite. Tim? Please. Anna? I'm sorry to say no. Oh. And I think he goes on to play four games, is it? Uh, I don't know. Not many. Don Condon, famous name, not a famous player. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, what they'll well, say. That's unfortunate. <laughs> other, uh, other debutantes were Fred Fairweather, Keith McKenzie, Eric Haggis, and Cam Boggy. <laughs> that's Cam a good Boggy. one. I've, I feel like the Condon family probably all have that sort of like um, fairly intense streak. You know, fairly ferocious sort of the, the Condon we know or yeah. this Condon uh, well yeah I mean I'm, I'm just going to imagine that he's probably a bit fiery like like Uncle Uncle Dick okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, alright so Bob McCaskill was back he had been on leave coach um, with the army sorry he hadn't been on leave he'd been transferred by the army so wasn't able to coach and fulfil his duties in the 43 season but he was back this season to lead North Melbourne um the team started horribly, however. Three losses in a row. Their first win came in round four against Footscray at Arden Street. Round five was a scrappy one-point win over South Melbourne at Junction Oval, despite trailing by five goals at three-quarter time. Now, round six, Sid Dyer, no relation mm. to Jack, had a day out against Hawthorne, kicking nine goals. The win should have been better, bigger, though, uh, but for Hawthorne, seven goals to two final quarter, the margin being 29 points in the end. Now, round eight, Sal Murray was back in the team, Kaz, a favourite of ours. <laughs> Although it was not a happy day for the shinboners. Uh, round nine would see Sal Murray get back into some form that we know he's capable of. He kicked seven goals and a strong win over ladder-leading Carlton. Round 13, the match between... Uh, this is another statistical anomaly. <laughs> round 13, there was a match between North Melbourne and Richmond. It's the only match in which a team has scored three goals fewer than its opponent, but scored enough behinds to win the match. So, Richmond mm. scored a very accurate 14 goals, 2. Mm-hmm. North Melbourne scored an inaccurate 11 goals, 21 <laughs> to win by one point. <laughs> wow. Can I say that um, one of those goals was probably from Don Condon? This is a classic example of um, your name uh, sort of like... What's it when, uh, you know, you, you're totally different to the, what your name sort of like, you know, precedes you? Um, uh, yep. So, Don Condon actually kicked... Uh, 218 goals in his career played 131 games okay, for so he, North <laughs> so, uh, so he didn't play just four games Kaz no no uh, that would have been wrong to assume that um, best and fairest in 1946 leading goal kick in 1948 sorry Don great fact checking though Kaz mm. 
Um, and I'm just fact-checking at the same time here. Um, that game where North Melbourne scored three fewer goals was the same round that South Melbourne had beaten Geelong with that ridiculous score as well. That is a stat-filled round. Isn't it? Mm. Strange um, Also with that win... Um, North Melbourne. It was the second time North Melbourne had beat the top of the ladder that season. Ah. They're definitely on their way up, aren't they? Mm-hmm. North. Yeah. yeah. Creeping and crawling. They're getting better. North had slumped then to three losses in a row before finishing with two wins over Hawthorne and St Kilda. But this season, as you pointed out, Kaz, had been their most successful. Um, and one of their players, Jack Harrison, was nominated by the Sporting Globe as one of the best fullbacks of the season. Harrison. Yes. <laughs> they call out. <laughs> finishing fifth just out of the top four with a percentage, in fact, a huge percentage of 131.5 was Carlton and that's the, 12 wins and six losses. Um, now, Jim Francis was appointed Carlton's captain for the season but didn't play a senior game. He tried to make a comeback in the reserves but broke down and then retired. So Bob Bomber Atkinson took over as captain for the rest of the 44 season. Um, and we know they're captain by Purse Bentley, ex-Richmond player. Round one, in their loss to South Melbourne, a mob surrounded the Carlton dressing rooms for an hour after the game because of the Mm -hmm. breaking Herbie Matthews' leg, and Ron Savage needed a police escort to get him to a nearby railway station for safety. Whoa. Always Carlton. Didn't affect Ron Savage, though. In round two, he kicked five as the Blues beat the Hawks by 56. Uh. (laughs) Uh, Now, round five, Carlton found themselves five goals down at three-quarter time, playing the mighty Essendon. Uh, they'd (laughs) They'd kicked seven goals, 14 up until that point. However... With some positional changes, Chidi to centre half back, Bob Green into the middle. They overran the Bombers with a seven, a six goal three last quarter, and Jack Routes last minute snap giving Carlton the lead, and Ron Savage's goal cementing it. Disappointing. Um, then their first trip to Cardinia Park in some time saw atrocious kicking. The Blues were still able to beat the Cats despite kicking thirteen goals twenty five. Goodness gracious. Yeah, and that's not their worst kicking for the season. It gets worse. <laughs> Round 11, in their loss to the Doggies, Bob Chitty was reported for assaulting Bill McTaggart, but was ultimately found not guilty. Mm. Round 13. Carlton's scoring woes continued, but they did win again. This time they kicked 13 goals, 28! <laughs> in a 44-point beating of the Hawks. God. Uh, round 14, they sc- <laughs> the scoring would haunt them again. They lost to Melbourne, and they kicked four goals, 14 for the match. It's quite a common occurrence this season. Yeah, and... It's a blight on the game. <laughs> yeah, round 17, playing Geelong at Princess Park. Future Geelong president, Captain Ern Henfrey, played his first game for the Navy Blues and starred in a record-breaking demolition of Geelong by 106 points. Uh, he was considered a future champion of Western Australia but was based in Victoria at the time of training with the RAAF. Um, his home club, the Perth Royals, granted him permits to play with Carlton. Um, and his slashing displays in the centre in this game made the Blues even more determined to keep him. Hmm. In a remarkable debut, Henfrey roamed far and wide across the centre of the ground and his strong marking and crisp disposal with both feet constantly set up scoring opportunities. Chief beneficiary was Blues centre-half forward Alex Way, who kicked five goals. Uh, The team scored 23 goals, 28, 166, Hmm. which which remains their highest ever score against Geelong. Hmm. So whoever's doing the podcast for um, the Western Australian um, football, we need to hook up with them so we can find out more information about all these these clubs. We need to franchise out, do we? (laughs) Um, Round 18. Now, I'm going to tell this story in two parts because I'm going to tell kind of from the Carlton part and then leave it on a bit of a cliffhanger. Oh, okay. Until we get to Footscray. Um, So round 18, the match was to decide which team would make the finals. It was Carlton versus Footscray. 
The Blues appeared home when they led by 17 points midway through the last quarter. But Footscray rallied valiantly, drawing level with less than a minute to play. And the last kick of the day would decide who made finals. But I will tell the rest of that story when we get to the dogs. Mm. But ultimately, we know Carlton have missed finals. We do. We'll hear more about that story. Here we go. Oh, is it? Okay. We're getting to the pointy end. Your favourite your favorite part was the finals. It is. The finals. Finals. <sighs> okay. So, as Tim just alluded to, Footscray finished fourth on the ladder. They had 12 wins, one draw and five losses and a percentage of... 106.9. So much smaller percentage than Carlton. Same number of wins. Mm, captain coached by Arthur Oliver. There was hope that uh, Norm Ware would be posted back to serve in Victoria, but mm. instead he was posted to WA, mm. unfortunately. Round one, they had a strong win against a returning Geelong with Harry Hickey kicking five goals. Round two, there was an upset loss to St Kilda. It had one supporter so angry that he stormed the field hurled his season ticket at Arthur Olliger, yelling, here, take it. A man ought to be shot for following such a lot of dogs. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Round three, against Collingwood at Western Oval, Bill Wood made his debut and kicked nine on debut. Wow. <gasps> which is a VFL record. Yes, that's got to be. Not broken or broken a few years later by a little a guy called John Coleman. Ah, yeah, that'll do it. But, yeah, nine goals on debut is impressive. Mm-hmm. You should just Another stop it there. Play the one game and have the highest, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, average ever. <laughs> Round 11. Playing the Blues, the Doggies were eight points down at three-quarter time. But in the last quarter, after a sequence of points were kicked, new full forward Bill Wood marked. Carlton players swarmed the mark. The umpire cleared them away and Wood took his kick and scored the only goal for either team in the last quarter. Desperate play followed, which saw McTaggart, Oliver and Ryan work hard to save the game in defence. The siren went and the Dogs had beaten Carlton in this mid-season game by three points. And in this stage, a respected counsellor jumped the fence, but this time to pat Arthur Oliver on the back. (sighs) Round 15, Footscray played North uh, at Western Oval and had to withstand a shinboner comeback. It wasn't until the last 50 seconds that Harry Hickey kicked the goal that put the Dogs in front and saw them end North's final chances. Ooh. Poor Murray. But, but guys, I know the, the, what you want to hear about is the end of this Carlton game. So round 18, let me set the scene. There's less than a minute left. The Doggies have clawed their way back from 17 points down. The winner of this game goes into the finals. Mm. Footscray have not played many finals. No, they had not won a final ever. With less than a minute left, the Dogs had drawn level with the Blues. A seesawing affair. It was then that Footscray's Harry Hickey took a strong pack mark 50 metres from goal. As he walked back to take his kick, the final bell sounded across the ground. High drama reigned as 35,000 strong crowd held its breath. Drama. For the Bulldogs, Harry Hickey's kick was all important because Carlton had the superior percentage Mm. and would put them into the finals if it was a draw. Hickey also hadn't realised the siren had gone and one of his mates, uh, Miller, ran over to steady him and, you know, tell him, don't play on, don't pass the ball, have a shot. So Harry Hickey swung into the kick, going all out for distance with a torp, supposedly. Um, and the crowd roared. Bob Chitty went up and appeared to take the mark right on the goal line. But the goal umpire, after consulting with the field umpire, oh, no. signalled oh. a point, which tipped the Blues out of the finals oh. and the Bulldogs into the finals. Carlton players were adamant that Chitty had marked the ball inside the field of play, oh. but their protests fell on deaf ears. Footscray in the finals! One point win. How dramatic is that? Oh. 
Sensational. Oh, that was very Bruce McAvaney of you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When this news reached the ears of Footscray players in a battalion in New Guinea, the battalion broke into cheers. (laughs) Bravo, lads. Yeah. Imagine being in that game. Yeah. All, the whole season coming down to that one kick. Is there Got any footage or radio? No, not that I could find. Yeah, mm. that would be so amazing. It's a bit sporadic. Mm. Mm. Definitely grand finals. Mm-hmm. Um, more so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, with uh, Jack Lee here around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes me think he's... Because he becomes a commentator. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, no. Yes. All right. The mighty Essendon, as Tim called them. Mm. I'm going to film this. <laughs> using, using their proper term. Yeah. Good. <laughs> it just doesn't roll off the tongue as nicely as uh, another team. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. people miss out the end. Es- yeah. Essendon. The mighty Dons <laughs> finished third on the ladder. 12 wins, two draws, only a mere four losses, and a humongous percentage of 134. Humongous, Kaz. <laughs> <laughs> I like the enthusiasm you put into that, Moz. That, that was, was really, all. That was, that, was, that was for the dons around the country. <laughs> so Bill Cookson took over as club secretary and would hold this position for the next 28 years. Um, one of their debutants was Ken Coilcoat. For the first time in the war, though, enlistments began to really take an effect on Essendon and there were many changes every week. And Dick Reynolds would miss the first seven games through appendicitis. So Elton Daffy Plummer had to act as captain coach in his absence. Round one, Tommy Reynolds picked up where he left off, kicking five goals as the the Bombers bombers took down the Hawks. Bob Drummond also added five for the Dons. Uh, Round six, the Bombers drew with St Kilda, which was the first draw Essendon had had since 1929. St Kilda led most of the day and we talked about the fact that they missed nine shots in the last quarter so they probably mm-hmm. should have won uh, Essendon managed to claw back in that last quarter to salvage a draw um, then following this they got smashed by the Pies so we talked about Collingwood having that strong win I think it was around nine or ten it was mid-season um, and questions were asked of the team after this game mm. do they really want to win um, they've got to win every game they can't just show up when they need to so mm, that's, that's not the right. That's yeah. Right. So that was round seven. They Essendon lost by twenty nine points at Victoria Park. Um, there was an airing of grievances at the club following mm. that, when the players mm-hmm. come in, a bit of honesty session with each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dick Reynolds came back following this as well. Whether he was ready to or not, I'm not sure, but mm. it seems like it, it was ready. Mm. He needed to come back and lead the team mm. on the field as well as in the coaching coach's box, coach on the sidelines. Mm. Um, and he did so in spectacular fashion. They thrashed North by 84 points. They had 10 different goal scorers. So we're back, baby. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> Round nine. Um, look, there was a sensation in this game. It was Essendon versus Fitzroy, I believe. Yep. Um, Noel Smith was disallowed a goal in the last minute, which would have put the Bombers over the line for a win. He had marked close in on an angle, and uh, he was he, he kicked the winning goal. Hmm. However, the umpire ruled that he'd run around the mark and instead of calling play on, he made Smith go back and take another kick. Oh. This time he only managed to kick it behind and the game was a draw. Ah. Oh. And we see we still see this happen today. Yeah. Round 12, they annihilated a hapless Hawthorne team by 107 points, Kaz. Oh, which still stands as their biggest ever win over Hawthorne. Whopper Lane led the Bombers with five goals that day. I mean, the Hawks only kicked three goals seven. Mm. 
their lowest ever score against Essen. I mean, that would have been a great game to be at. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in their round 13 win over Melbourne, Dick Reynolds became uh, the Bombers game's record holder, which was 187, um, previously held by Bill Griffith back mm. in, uh, I think, 1911. Dick Reynolds would be Essendon's leading games record holder until 1989. Mm. So, yeah, I think Simon Madden was the player who broke that. Oh, okay. Round 14, despite another haul of goals by Dick Harris, Bill Hutchinson kicked the goal in the dying seconds to give the Bombers a four-point win. Mm. Uh, round 16, we'd have a win over Geelong, and that would be Tom Reynolds' last with the club. Having played 109 games, mm. um, and including the two he kicked against the Cats, he had kicked 361 goals. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Round 17, they had a huge win, this time kicking 28 goals, 21, annihilating the Saints by 106 points. And then they cemented their spot in the fall with an 82-point win over South. Yes, they're really punishing the weaker teams and cementing that that success. That explains why their percentage is so high as well. Um, See, I'm glad we don't have uh, unbiased um, commentary because (laughs) you wouldn't get get that, what we just heard from Tim. (laughs) Yeah. I wish we were a video show. You should have seen Tim smile that entire time. Oh, I tried to a get a grin. The Cheshire Cat. <laughs> it's not even a premiership year for us. I know. Just, <laughs> just finished third. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, still finals. <laughs> yeah, true. Most successful club. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Second, Fitzroy. 13 wins, one draw, four losses, percentage of 131.1. Yeah, captain coached by Craig Houston. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and this was Fitzroy's Diamond Jubilee year as well. Um, Fitzroy used 44 players in this season. One of those is Norm Johnston, grandfather of Travis Johnston. Oh. oh I used to call him Travis Johnstone. <laughs> yeah, because that's how his surname yeah, stopped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're playing for Fitzroy Brisbane Bears in the, oh, in did the too, end yeah. as well. <laughs> oh, cool. Yep. Um, so Fitzroy were one of the early season favourites as well to take out the flag. They had a pretty successful 43 season, yeah. um, but they didn't start really very well at all. They had a loss. They they struggled to beat St Kilda in the opening round. Oh. Um, but kind of got the ball rolling. Round two, they had a great day when they beat arch rivals Collingwood at Victoria Park by 48 points. Arthur O'Brien kicked five, mm. um, and then they kind of they, they tuned up. They weren't winning convincingly, but they were winning. Round nine, the Gorillas drew of Essendon in a controversial game where we, we, we know the Bombers should have won that, apart from the uh, the horrible umpiring decision. <laughs> he didn't say it then. Slip it in there now. When Fitzroy lost to Carlton in round 10, their record was 6-3 and three with one draw. Round 11, Fitzroy travelled to Geelong for the first time in a while. Uh, they were right in the back of two winless matches, so they had a draw and a loss. But what eventuated was a record-breaking day. The Maroons, or the Gorillas, played beautifully concerted football outplaying their opponents in every part of the field they kicked 11 goals 5 in the third quarter alone wow Rover Aaron the Baron Ruffin kicked 9 goals <laughs> at one stage he'd kicked 5 in a row <laughs> so as a Rover <laughs> not a forward a Rover um, Ken Sire kicked 6 Wally Miller 5 um, and this ranks as the 74th best win ever by Fitzroy in Peter Carter's top 100 Fitzroy wins book hmm it's up there. Yeah. Wait, um, but, did you say 75th? Yeah, he's got... So Categorised. Peter, no, Peter Carter has written a book called the Fitzroy's Top 100 Wins. Wonderful. And this is number 74 in that list. Oh, oh, it's up there. Yeah. It's on the list. It's on the list. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it was. Um, this Aaron win, the Baron. So, yeah, the, Alan. Alan Baron. Oh. Yeah. Uh, this win would yeah. kickstart the second half of their season. They had a shock loss to St Kilda, but then from round 13 onwards... 
they wouldn't lose a game. Ah. They smashed Collingwood by 51, beat North by 23, had a big win over ladder leader Fitzroy by 50 points, mm. scraped home against the Doggies, then had strong wins over South and Geelong um, to see them finish in second, but mm. 0.1% <laughs> off top spot, yeah, well. which is the closest ever margin between first and second. Oh. That's one goal. That's like when Melbourne didn't make finals a few years ago. Oh, when yeah, West Coast, don't. yeah. Mm. Um, huge fallout then. Yeah. The team had three players kick 40 or more goals. So Ruffin kicked 46, Sire 41, and Stackpole with 40. So you know when you're getting players kicking lots of big goals like that, that you're having a good season. Mm-hmm. Things are going all right. Mm. Um, yeah, they, they haven't dropped away. They've just kept on getting better. Yeah. After a big slump. And top. All right. Percentage of 131.2. Also 13 wins, one draw, four losses was Richmond. Mm. Once again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, captain coached by Jack Dyer mm-hmm. again. Uh, Jack Titus was, we know he's now retired, but he was elected to the Richmond board, so he was now a member of their board. Uh, round one, they hoisted their premiership flag that they'd won the previous season. But it was not the president's wife who hoisted it. Wait, is this, this is not the first time, but it's very unusual. It's very unusual, highly unusual. Um, it was hoisted by Jack Dyer. Oh. <laughs> <The> captain. <laughs> um, so in this game, Melbourne Richmond would go on to beat Melbourne by 40 points. Round two, after trailing north at halftime, Dyer gave his team an absolute bake, saying, They're calling you to lambs, and so you are. If you don't go out there and turn into man-eating tigers... I'll turn that crowd loose on you. <laughs> they steadied the ship and they won by 20. <laughs> In round three, Dick Harris continued his dominance over Essendon with four goals by quarter time and 10 by the end of the match as they kicked, uh, as they smashed the Bombers by 41 points. Hmm. Now, after beating Fitzroy comfortably in round four, I think it was, there was talk that Richmond would go unbeaten this season, that they were too good for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course we know when that sort of stuff gets bandied around in the media, of course they, the, the players are going to buy that. Mm-hmm. And then what do they do the next next round? Flop. They lost, yeah. Carlton yeah. took care of them in the next round. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they had a draw with Footscray in round six. Round eight, though, was a huge 117-point win over Geelong. Harris was seven, Arthur Mooney was six. Round 11, Jack Dyer was reported in this match against Collingwood. Um, for striking John McHale, son oh. of Jock. Oh. The incident occurred when Dyer's elbow made contact with, with McHale's head. Um, uh, why was I imagining him elbowing somebody? <laughs> behind the ear. Uh, McHale was furious and wanted a piece of Dyer mm. and pun- I think punched Dyer in the head. And McHale kind of lost it at this point, was just trying to get him. Yeah. So um, Jack Dyer was a policeman. So Jack Dyer grabbed him in a big bear hug and like, kind of held him until he calmed down. I wonder if he would talk to talk to him in his ear like when I elbow you don't retaliate. Well, and it's funny reading his recollection of this, where it's like Jack Dyer always wanted to have a piece of Jock McHale because they Collingwood had always beaten Richmond, and so if he couldn't get Jock McHale, he could get his next best thing, his son. Oh, great! Um, There's a bit of history there. Yeah, a bit vengeful. But um, Jack Dyer would be suspended for four matches, mm. which would be the only four, the only suspension of his career. Mm. Mm. It must have been a pretty obvious one because it would have been a brave umpire to, to do one of those ones from behind the play yeah. and for the Mikhail to arc up so badly. must have felt like everyone saw it. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, so as you said, Moz, Richmond finished on top by the narrowest of margins. 
Um, Bless you. Points. Zero six percent points. A single extra point any time would have been the difference, according to the, my notes I've got here. Oh, that. <laughs> All right, and get, that gets us to the end of the season. Let's check in with Big Red very quickly and see what's happening around the grounds. Big Red's local footy roundup or your state and suburban football action, sinking our teeth into grassroots football. G'day kickers, welcome to the roundup for the 1944 season of football from around this great country. First this week we take a look at the Sandful, who are in their final year of wartime football, playing with four competing teams in a reduced home and away season. Norwood North Adelaide played and won against Port Adelaide West Torrens in the grand final in front of 30,000 fans at the Adelaide Oval. Records and final scores for the game were extremely hard to come by, so I apologise for not having these for you. The Sandful leading goal kicker went to second-time winner William Isaac from Norwood, North Adelaide, with a season-high 76 goals for the 1944 season. No McGarry medal was awarded during this 1944 wartime season. Over in the Waffle and in the 60th season of Western Australian football, the 1944 season is notable for being the first perfect season by... Any team in the Western Australian Football League, uh, this was in 1944, completed by East Perth with a perfect season. Under the coach of former forward Cecil Rowland, an exceptionally powerful core group of players was developed in 1942 and 1943. So well equipped with a side that they lost their three best players in one of their finals games, added three players who had not played a game for the entire season, and the East Perth side lost none of their efficiency on the field. At the other end of the ladder, South Fremantle, who were already last in 1943, lost uh, class player Frank Treasure and Eric Erickson at the end of that 1943 season, became the first side since 1917 to lose every single match in a season. So that South Fremantle side in 1944 had a tremendously poor season. Uh, So poor, in fact, that they never led during the second half of any of their 19 matches. So after halftime, really falling away and uh, whether falling asleep or totally running out of gas. The grand final was played between East Perth and East Fremantle in front of just under 9,000 fans at Subiaco. The scores for the game were 14-13-97 to 7-17-41 in a totally dominant display by the East Perth side, but an equally as poor display by the East Fremantle team. East East Perth were considered to be totally flawless in their ruck and on-ball division uh, with their superiority and polish with the ball. Uh, By contrast, East Fremantle scored two goals 13-25, including 10 consecutive behinds in the first half to really kick themselves out of the game. The Waffle leading goal scorer for the 1944 season was Alan Watts from East Perth with 101 majors for the season, and the Sandover medal was won by Jim Davies from Swan Districts. The 1944 VFA season was again abandoned, abandoned during the second during the Second World War. Uh, this will be the final season that we miss out on the VFA, so back uh, for 1945. Other winners included Kedron from Queensland and Uni Blacks from Victoria, both going back-to-back in recent seasons in their respective competitions. And that wraps up the roundup for the 1944 season. Until next time, kick straight. 
And Moz, we are still without Brownlows. I know. Bring them back. Bring them back. back. However, it was generally acknowledged um, that Norm Smith would have won the Brownlow this season Ah. had there been an official Brownlow vote count. Um, The Herald Sun... The Herald Sun released that they would they would have given him twenty three votes for the season, mm-hmm. uh, followed by well, Percy Bushby Essendon's Percy Percy Bushby Robbed. twenty votes. <laughs> Robbed, old. <laughs> give me a spell. And then Colin Winsley Richards and Don Cordner seventeen votes. Um, Two Melbourne. Norm Smith him. had received six best on ground votes from the Herald Sun in their annual competition. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because you would have thought with Melbourne, Fred Fanning would be the kind of standout. But mm. I think at this point, Norm Smith had moved into the midfield and Fanning was the, the spearhead. Uh, and it was Norm Smith who gave Fred Fanning all those opportunities. Right. And yeah. that kind of makes sense when you think of it like that. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think yeah. Don Cordner you had there as well, didn't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, Don like Cordner, when... equal third. Yeah. According to the and Herald then Sun. And then, according to the Sporting Globe top 10 for the season, Don Cordner first. Yeah, so you've got uh, two Melbourne midfielders there who are topping those two poles, which mm-hmm. I, I guess tells us that Melbourne's midfield is, is humming along nicely. Mm. Fanning was doing well. Maybe it's the defence that's letting them down. Mm. Yeah. Someone like Norm Smith there, marshalling everybody. Yeah. Making everybody play so well. All right, well, finals. Hey, we need a... So speaking of songs... Oh, finals. How long oh. have we speak, spoken about making a final song? Like at least <laughs> oh, yeah. two years' worth of podcasts. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> two Finally calendar years. Finally the finals. Yeah. Mm. Mm. All right, so we've got the first semi-final between Essendon and Footscray. Played at the Junction Oval this year. So finals the last two years have been at Prince's Park. They ah. are now at Junction Oval. Maybe the first half of the song can be the old system, so it has a different sound to it. Mm-hmm. And then when we go to the new system, there's... There's so many systems, moder- though, Kaz. Yeah. <laughs> Which system? The Argus Amended? Well, the we could Argus? S- maybe we could start The McIntyre? The McIntyre page? Oh, the, well, the Gregorian chant can be the first one. Play everybody wins a fight. Something really chant. Anyway. And then go <laughs> yeah, to the history of music. Very, um... Gregorian coral. chant? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Chorus stuff. Anyway, coral. Uh, coral. Let's let's make another podcast about jingles. <laughs> coral Baskin. Anyway, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> we can do an episode just on the songs if you want, just on football uh, music. I think that's what the fans want. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So finals. Essendon Footscray played at the Junction. Um, first final was played on a wet Saturday, uh, with overnight and morning rain. Footscray took to the field with the Footscray City Band playing three cheers for the red, white, and blue. Um, Essendon came into this game with a bit of a tactical move. Uh, Dick Reynolds put Gordon Whopper Lane, who is usually a full forward, at full back. Oh, wingman. And look, the big difference in this game was the second quarter. Essendon kicked six goals, three to Footscray, no score. Uh, Reynolds was Mm. massive, kicking four goals, six in this match. You cleared out the forward line for him. Look, to the Bulldogs' credit, they got within eight points um, uh, in the third quarter, but Dick Reynolds took control of the game in the last quarter and put the game beyond doubt. But this would be the, the third finals loss for the Dogs in the last, I think, seven or so seasons. And suddenly winning a final was a bit of a monkey on their back, mm. like it is for us in, in modern day, mm. unfortunately. <laughs> um, the next game would be the semi sec- the first semi semifinal, uh, Richmond versus Fitzroy, the winner going through to the grand final. Mm-hmm. And this was a tight match throughout, Kaz. Mm. 
Um, unfortunately for Richmond, Dick Harris, their known prolific goal kicker, broke down in the first quarter with a knee injury, suffered after kicking the ball, and this would ultimately end his career. Oh, that's sad. From kicking the ball? Yeah. Oh, That's what the newspaper report I read said. Um, Keith Stackpole would kick five goals for the Gorillas, who ran out 11-point winners and were into their first grand final since 1923. Woohoo! Uh, Richmond's centre, Jack Broadstroke was reported in this game for having kicked or intended to kick Noel, uh, Fitzroy's half-forward flanker Noel, Noel Price. Um, and he was suspended for eight weeks. The Richmond first 18, the Richmond team was so outraged at this, they were almost going to forfeit the preliminary final against Essendon. Huh. And it was only after Richmond president Harry Dyke told them he would... Um, that he'd field the second 18 if they forfeited they agreed to play um, but they what they did was they called for an appeals board for tribunals uh, which would eventually come into play in the, I think 1998 so a long way off um, but yeah Richmond losing yeah. Broadstroke and Jack Harris in this game so big losses oh, without a tribunal system you've got this feeling that if you can knock someone so hard enough in the finals then you're going to get a bigger chance of winning the grand final yeah. is that is that why is such a strong feeling yep you can but just imagine that if you're looking for a competitive edge anyway when there's no rule protecting you against that but trying to trying to have an appeals board as well is not, not the worst idea no yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, which now would pit Essendon against Richmond in another final. So this will be the mm. what the uh, sixth time they've played in the final in four years, I believe. It's starting to feel like Hawthorne, Richmond. Uh, fifth in three is what I've got it written here. Um, mm. But look, this game was a bit of a fizzer, to be honest. It was over by quarter time. Oh. Um, Richmond had slammed on eight goals, five, eight goals two to Essendon's five points in the first quarter. Ooh. Five points. Um, Gordon Wapalane was put at full back again, as you know, let's whack him there, uh, playing against Jack Dyer, but this backfired as Jack Dyer kicked four first quarter goals. <laughs> uh, Jack Broadstroke, having been suspended, was at the races at this point, and he heard on, the, on his wireless that Dyer had kicked four goals early, so he ran off and put some bets on Richmond to win before the bookies heard about this news <laughs> at odds of three to one. Um, but Jack Dyer was the absolute difference in this game, kicking nine goals for the game. Yeah, nine goals. Uh, Essendon outscored the Tigers for the rest of the game, 12 goals to eight, but the damage was done. Um, and this game is also really important because it was the game in which that iconic photo of Jack Dyer was taken. Coming out of the, the race. The photo of him holding the ball, which is the footy show logo. Ah, yes. yes okay. oh. That happened in this game. Mm. Cool. So they yeah. won that game. Yeah, I don't think we have it up anywhere in the room. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, which True. brings us to the grand final. <laughs> played at the Junction Oval um, on the 30th of September in, in front of 30, uh, in front of 43,000 fans. But we don't need to talk about it because we're going to boot up our way back when phone cares and we are <laughs> going to chat to the winning grand final captain. Here we go. Fred, it is so great to speak to you. So, another Fitzroy Premiership. Yes, and a long time coming. Yeah, 1923 was the last time you were in a grand final. Uh, that's a long time for fans to wait. It just made today taste all the sweeter. 
Um, now, is there anything before we get into the grand final that you can attribute this rise in success to? Uh, yeah, the hard work of the players and special mention to Dan Minogue, who helped to get the team back on track with his three years as a coach. He was even willing to help with our finals campaign over the last few weeks. Great. Yeah, great play. Uh, some pundits had you pegged for the flag in the pre-season, but your season started rather poorly. Well, not poorly, but we didn't have that red-hot form we had expected of ourselves. Yes. Um, yeah, we heard you had a players-only meeting following the loss to Footscray in Round 5. Can you tell us anything about that? Uh, it was really just a friendly chat between teammates looking to get our season back on track. Well, this is when it all happened. Well, it seemed to work. You only lost one more game for the season. Yes, you're right. It seemed to do the trick. Uh, and after that big win over Richmond, we knew we had hit a good vein of form. Yeah, so he finished second on the ladder by the tiniest of percentage. One extra point in the season would have seen oh. you on top. Uh, it was a bit of a bugger, but either way, we had the double chance. And we knew we would play Richmond with a shot at playing in a grand final. And you managed to win that game by 11 points. I wasn't surprised. Keith Stackpole was the hero that day. Big Stackpole. <laughs> Five goals made all the difference for the fella. Um, look, so recently the team having the bye following the first semi-final has been the one that's been beaten in the grand final. Um, were you worried about history repeating? Not at all. Actually, it was a blessing in disguise for us. Four of our players were knocked about in the semi-final and we'd been forced to take the field again within a week. We would have been without at least three of our stars. Mm. Uh, the break enabled us to regain 100% physical fitness. That gave you the confidence heading into the big game against Richmond? Yeah, I think we were a better balanced and a more versatile team than the Tigers. I said during the week that any superiority they might have in the air would be counted by our extra pace. Um, so what did you think about the build-up? It was not the usual grand final day today, was it? It was a very strange day. What with the heat and the tram strike, there were people everywhere, just dripping in sweat. Some having walked from the city, we heard, and they packed him into the junction today like sardines. The crowd was around 43,000 today, and yeah, the temperature almost reached 30. 30? S sorry, Fred, uh, 85.7 degrees Fahrenheit? Ah, uh -huh, yes. I understand now. <laughs> um, look, so the form of Jack Dyer must have been a big concern. He'd kicked nine goals against the mighty same olds the week before. Um, this must have played on your mind. Certainly, we expected it, but I think in the end Richmond lost the game on bad tactics. Dyer was their spearhead and stood immobile up forward when he was needed in the ruck. We had men watching him at the Essendon game and had plenty of notes on how to play him. So, what did you say to the troops before the game? Oh, look, I really revved them up, like I did at training on Thursday. I wanted to boost their confidence and really try and play the game to our strengths and try and cover Richmond's stars. Yeah, you, you um, seemed extremely confident in your side's ability, so much so that you chose to kick against the wind. Um, that's a gutsy call, <laughs> especially for a grand final. Uh, look, the wind was a real brick fielder, but I keyed the team up and knew our defence would hold sway. Ken Sire had the first goal on the board for Fitzroy. Then Richmond managed a few, but Richmond really didn't take advantage of the wind like you predicted. Well, my prediction was more about our ability to hold them in defence, and our men just pursued the ball like bees, swamping everything the Tigers went for. Your prediction? Um, then the second quarter they came out hard and really took the game right up to you, but after an even 10 or so minutes, it seemed the damn wall finally burst. Well, I wouldn't say it burst, but it was good to finally kick some majors. 
I was cursing the fact we missed a hell of a lot of shots on goal too. Mm, the third quarter almost seemed to break both teams, just through physical exhaustion. It was hard going. There were times when both Rovers had to con contest the throw-ins. Such was the exhaustion of the Ruckman. Big Bert Clay played a hell of a game and was just buggered afterwards. He collapsed after the game and was carried off by our trainers. Oh, um, so you held an 11-point lead with a quarter to play. Um, how would you describe that last quarter, Fred? Oh, an arm wrestle. Sometimes it went our way, sometimes it went theirs. No team could get a run on. Finally, I think it was Ken Sire uh, kicked a goal to put our 15 points up, and that was the moment I knew we had won it. So, in your words, why do you think you won today? Look, it was simple. We just had a team of fellows who would bleed for Fitzroy, really bleed. It wasn't just for the money, it was for love. Love of the club, pride in themselves. Yes, it was a fantastic feeling. The spirit of the team was the whole thing. They would not accept defeat and any one of them who would have bled for Fitzroy, they would have walked on broken glass. And the celebrations? Out of control. Supporters mobbed the boys. There was non-stop hooting and thronging. The dressing room, the dressing rooms were just, just an unreal place to be. Now you already mentioned Bert Clay, but who else stands out for, today, for you today? Uh, Bruce Calverley as well. He just repeatedly opened up the play for us, gave the forwards lots of opportunities, and probably did more than just anyone else to win the match for us. And I mentioned our defence, but Norm Hillard was great. His judgement saved us on so many an occasion. And look, I was going to say, this team seems to be just getting to the height of their powers, and I imagine we'll probably see you contesting for a flag again next season. Yeah, there's no reason why Fitzroy should not be an even stronger side next year. We hope to retain most of the boys who did so well today, and if vacancies occur, we have excellent material to draw on from our second 18. You've done a fantastic job today. Uh, you've deserved this. Any, any celebrations? Yes, any we have plans? a dinner dance at the, at the club tonight, which should be a ripper. The seconds won as well last week, so everyone will be celebrating. Well, Fred, that sounds amazing. Uh, well done again. Enjoy the drought-breaking flag. Uh, your supporters are so proud of you. Oh, thanks all. Um, so great to speak to Fred there, guys. Um, and one other thing that came out of that grand final was a song. Uh, it was penned to the tune of A Great Day for the Irish, um, written by Norm Byron. Uh, it's called the Fitzroy Premiership Song, and you'll never guess, but I got ourselves—I got my hands on a copy, so let's have a quick listen. It's a great day, I swear. Why everybody up there is excited. All the barrackers, gee, they are delighted. It's a great day for old Fitzroy when the flag it came our way. 
Where premiers now you see Oh boy, you're telling me It's a great, great day Murray, Denning, Gracie Feels my word, they played their part Bickerton, Hillard and O'Brien They broke the Tigers' hearts Georgie Hoskins and Jarvis on the wing Bruce Kilvey, his praises we must sing Wright and Price played so nice They never missed a goal Smokey Dawson, Maury Hearn, Sire and Stackpole Jackie Simons and Ruffin on the ball Freddie Hewson, the daddy of them all it's a great day for old Fitzroy. It's a great day, I swear. But Clay is the man we all admire. The only man to ever stop Jack Dyer. It's a great day for old Fitzroy. Now the flag is there to stay. Now all together with me, the Fitzroy boys are we. It's a great, great day. How good was that? Um, just some stats from that grand final as well. So goals for Fitzroy, Sire with three, Stackpole two, Calverley one, Ruthven, Aaron, uh, the Baron Ruthven one, Simons one, Wright one. For Richmond, Wilson three, Randall two, Burge one, and Dyer one. Best for Fitzroy, well, Calverley, as um, Houston told us, Hillard, Price, Houston himself, Hearn and Bert Clay. Mm. Um, but some players who missed out were Len Smith and Frank Kircher, who... We're serving with the war, serving oh, with the yeah, armed forces. So players who we know have been given uh, some great service to Fitzroy mm. were mm. unable to play in that team, which was mm. you know That's a sad. Shame. Mm. Um, and Dan Murray was nineteenth man in that game, Kaz. <laughs> really, Bulldog Murray's dad. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. So disappointing not having him there. Um, this was the last grand final to feature two playing coaches as well. Ah, and. As um, Fred said, Fitzroy won the reserves flag the week earlier, so they won the double. Mm. Mm. Post-season, Richmond played an exhibition game in Tasmania uh, with so many injuries. Old Jack Titus had to pull on the boots and he ended mm. up kicking 16 goals against the Taswegians. Um, he would have been handy to have in the grand final, looking back <laughs> on it. Maybe he retired too early. Mm. Um, and Fitzroy also took on the Mighty Bombers in Bendigo the week after the grand final to raise money for the war. Oh. Uh, the Gorillas triumphed in that game by four points. Hmm. I thought Fred Houston was quite articulate. Yeah, he had some good things to say. He'd appreciate you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, Spoke really well, actually. Um, nice. I've got some um, some audio of some players re- reflecting on this game as well, which we might have a quick listen to. Won the toss and kicked against the wind. Uh, uh, preconceived plan. Felt that the players going out as they were feeling uh, would be able to hold Richmond. It was quite a windy day and... Uh, we felt if we went out keyed up and fresh that we had more chance of holding them than they would have holding us. So I chose to kick against the wind. Houston, our coach, was a very likeable chap and um, the team spirit, I think it's always been hard for Troy, even uh, I noticed in later years, but when I was there, the spirit was uh, probably one of the best in the league. Well, I would say you could not have got a better team spirit than we had. Every player in that uh, on the list really were um, dedicated to Fitzroy and the team. 
Well, you can imagine what a thrill it was after a drought of 22 years. We won the last flag in 22, and the supporters went hanging on and hanging on. We, and finally, when the flag came in 44, well, I mean, the whole world was let loose. It was a, a thrill to the players because they'd put their effort in for those two or three years under Fred Hewson. They'd, uh, they were an older type of player. Those, we had to remember it was wartime, and the young players away, and. Uh, they were a gutsy mob, they uh, had full of courage and they said they wanted that flag and they gave their hearts and souls uh, to get that flag. And having won it, and they were playing a pretty good teams in the finals, including Richmond who thought they had the flag won, but well, when you won it was sheer determination and courage really, plus the ability of course to do it. Well you can imagine the thrill we had. Alright, so some retirements from the 1944 season. Mm. Percy Beams of Melbourne. Whoa. 213 games, 323 goals and three premierships. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Percy. Uh, Jack Rout, North Melbourne Carlton champion, 183 games, 319 goals, one flag. Dick Harris, 196 games for Richmond, 548 goals, which is the sixth most for Richmond. Schmitty, Paul Schmidt. Haven't heard of him for a while, but he really? retired after 78 games, 228 goals and a flag. I can hear Charlie's voice. Schmitty! Maury <laughs> <laughs> Hearn of South Melbourne and Fitzroy, 136 games going out with a flag. Keith Stackpole, again going out with a oh. flag. Collingwood and Fitzroy player, 118 games, 229 goals. Uh, his third game and his last game were both grand finals. That's very cool. Yeah, because he played a flag, played in the grand final of Collingwood. Mm. And his son would go on to play international cricket for Australia. Mm. Uh, Murray Exelby for Essendon, 113 games, 102 goals and a flag. Jack Kelly of St Kilda, 89 games. And Tom Arclay of Geelong, 137 games and one flag. We say goodbye to them. Mm. Um, which gets us to the end of the season, guys. So let us sum up. What we've gone through. All right. The Premiers of 1944. Fitzroy. Correct. The Brownlow medalist? Kind of. There was none. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't um, say a champion of the colony because... Uh, our champion of the colony was Moss. Uh, yeah. Mm. yeah. That's so right. When, when Moss mentioned that. I tapped out. Um, <laughs> the leading goal kicker who won both the Coleman medal and the Coventry medal that we hand out here. Frederick Fanning. Fred Fanning. Um, so he just wins because no one kicked more goals in the uh, in the finals. You just say he just won. He, he won. The mighty Fred Fanning. Mighty Fred Fanning. Uh, wooden spoon. <laughs> so that is not St Kilda. Poor old Geelong. Geelong, their third wooden spoon, their first since the early days. Sorry, Geelong. Um, highest score for 1944 was Essendon with 28 goals, 21-189. Hmm. Um, the all-important premiership tally as of 1944... <laughs> We have Collingwood with 11 mm-hmm. in first place. Fitzroy are in second place with eight. Wow. Essendon with seven. Carlton with six. Melbourne, five. Richmond, five. Geelong, three. South Melbourne, three. Kaz. Mm. The, the, the McCracken Name Award. Oh, what everyone is waiting for. The biggest award that we hand out. <laughs> Here are your options. Oh, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> See the delight on my face. No, there was one that came up before eyed. that you, you, were, you were saying something about. I know which one it is. Just hit me with it. Okay. Let's go. So the current holder of the award is George Garlick of North Melbourne. Of course. And he, yeah. he played again. So he, he could retain. We don't know. Um, you've got Jack Singh, Tom Spear. Mr. Tibbles. <laughs> That's it. Wall Mr. Ar- Tibbles. Wall Armour, Jack Indian, Bob Bibby, 
<laughs> Tony Bizarka, Harry New, Fred Fairweather, Eric Haggis, or Cam Boggy? Oh, I'm oh. a very big fan of the the Haggis, but I think I think it's quite obvious that it has to be Tibbles. I mean, every, and I think anyone would say that, Mr. Yes, Tibbles. Mr. Tibbles. <laughs> Good boy, Mr. Tibbles. Check it. Yeah, that's right. Oh, All yeah. right, so guys, that gets us to the end of the 1944 season. Um, yeah. We'll be back for the uh, the bloodbath of 1945 soon. Mm. Ooh. So stay tuned. Yeah. yeah. Tell your friends about us. Check us out on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, check out our website as well. It's exciting things on there, mm. like the uh, the Lakeside Premiership tally. <laughs> um, there's some pieces of writing we've done as well, and some of the stuff we've found out. So yeah, you can check yeah. it out at uh, at our website. Otherwise, Yang. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, hooroo! Oh, hooroo! <laughs> <laughs> to find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.